Hello and welcome to the Sound On Site Game of Thrones podcast. This week we're talking about And Now His Watch Is Ended, Season 3, Episode 4, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, directed by Alex Graves. This is one of the more anticipated episodes of the series to this point, I would imagine. And so I would, I would also imagine that we have plenty to say about it. back with the Sound On Site Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, TV editor for Sound On Site. I'm joined as ever by Ricky D, general editor. General editor. Hello, everybody. And this week joining us uh, is Simon Howell, who's back to talk a little Game of Thrones with us on the, the Sound On Site uh, Game of Thrones podcast. Simon, welcome back. Uh, so I remember first seeing the episode titles for season three of Game of Thrones. I was, of course, being my typical... Um, uh, anal retentive self going through and typing up all the episodes to all the shows we were covering on Televerse. And I saw that this one was called, and now his watch is ended. And I had a feeling that meant several things were going to be happening in this episode. One of them did. One of them happened a little early. Jamie's hand happened a little earlier than I was anticipating, but I think the payoff with Danny is going to be what most everybody is talking about in regards to, to this episode. Um, Ricky, I can't wait to to hear what you think about it, but I first want to start out with, with Simon, because you were a bit more tepid than the internet about this episode, and I would love to hear you talk about that. Oh, yes. Surprise, the internet is wrong. Um, they generally are. Uh, just since it's my first time on the podcast this season, I just want to say I, I'm enjoying the season in general so far. I think it's starting off with a little bit more punch than season two did, which I'm very happy about. But I think there were some fundamental problems with this episode that maybe wouldn't be an issue if I were a book reader. But as I make clear every week in the intro to my reviews, I'm not a book reader, uh, at least not a reader of these books. So I don't get that advantage. I think the major one was that sequence with Daenerys is supposed to be a home run. It's supposed to be the equivalent, the latest equivalent of, you know, it, it's rather it's supposed to be on par with we got with her at the end of last season, even though it's happened very early in this season, which is an, inter- which is an interesting uh, bit of pacing. But it doesn't feel like a great win to me, mostly because uh, the slaver, whose name I don't have handy, although I did uh, write it out multiple times with great difficulty in my review this week, um, he the way that was staged just made him out to be such a buffoon and <laughs> so ill-prepared for this handoff that... I didn't get any sense of triumph when she killed, when she and the unsullied kill, killed him. Just everything about the way the whole thing was like, how did he get to have a giant slave army in the first place if he was such an idiot? So you didn't like the Spartacus moment? Uh, no, and especially because actual Spartacus, the TV show, would have done it way better. Uh, I'm not talking about the TV show, I'm talking about the film. Oh, uh, I, I know. I know you were. I am Spartacus. I'm actually going to agree with Mr. Simon Howell. Um, I do. Okay, first of all, I love this episode, but I love every episode of the Game of Thrones. But with that said, this is my least favorite episode of season four, because I think the thing about this episode season three, you mean season three, 
I think the thing about this episode episode is it shows the flaws and or the disadvantages of Game of Thrones, especially with the uh, budget and the time limit. And in that last sequence in which Danny overtakes the slave owner and acquires her army, I have to agree with Simon. First of all, I felt it was a little too rushed, but you, 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 you speak about him like he's an idiot and, uh, you know, he made like the stupidest mistake in the world. And I agree. But at the same time, they at least establish that this character looks at her like basically like just a dumb blonde, like he's a male chauvinistic pig. So I can forgive the writers for that, you know, even though it was sort of, I wouldn't call it a cop out, but it was an easy way out. It was an easy way to resolve that situation and for Danny to get her army. But I think my major problem with that sequence, and I, and I don't fault the show creators for this at all, but the last shot relies so heavily on CGI that I don't know, it just didn't work for me. And it kind of left me with a sour taste in my mouth because that's the thing about the the show is they don't have the budget to make this extraordinary over the top epic battle sequence, you know, and they can't do it in every episode. And, and I'm not saying I want the exact same battle sequence like we had at, at Blackwater where the whole entire episode was dedicated to the battle, but it just happened so fast. It was, it was just rushed and it was I, such a, it was such a huge moment for the whole entire series, especially season three that I just personally wasn't satisfied. Although Danny is my favorite character. I liked it because I like to see Danny win at the end of the day because she's my favorite character, but I don't necessarily like the way it was executed. Fair enough. I think that there are definitely um, some seams showing in, in that sequence at the end because of the budget. You don't have any sense that an actual town has been overrun by an actual army. It just feels like two extras and some, some you know, basic fire effects or, or maybe a, an actual explosion, but it doesn't ever feel like there's a real town that's being run over and, and just destroyed by this army. Yeah. And, and also I haven't had a problem with the, with the CGI and the dragons so far up until this episode, I thought it was horribly executed. I mean, I know it's a dragon, so it's not supposed to look real, but it kind of looked cartoonish, especially towards the end. Like, I did like the moment in which she says, a dragon is not a slave. Like, I like the way she delivered her lines, and I love the way the actress plays the part. I just, and again, it's not necessarily, you, how do you fault the creators of the show? Like, they only have so much money to make 10 episodes, and there's so much going on. They can't have an epic battle sequence in every episode. But that's what I mean. Like, this is, it's not that it's a horrible episode. It's a great episode, and the ending is still somewhat satisfying, but unlike the previous three episodes, it does sort of show the flaws, and there's a few more flaws I want to talk about later on in the podcast. Before we you go know- to that, though, I do want to talk about the, the the payoff of it. Yes, I have some issues with the execution of it, and reading something that you tweeted out earlier, Ricky, imagine if this show actually had a budget. Imagine if they could... You know, if they if they had the kind of budget that you need to be able to to do a sequence like what that is, you know, what that could be, what it has the potential to be and what it is in the book. I mean, I do think that despite that, the emotional payoff of it really worked for me. It sounds to me, Simon, that it didn't for you because you didn't have that uh, as much of a investment in wanting to see the the slaver um, get, you know, his comeuppance or, or as you know, as it were. Um I'm curious if that's an accurate read, Simon, of your take on it, or if if uh, the the emotional aspect of it did actually work. 
Uh, it felt like a hollow victory because it just seemed too easy. It seemed like the obvious solution from the moment that we found out how the deal with the Unsullied happened. And it seemed like, like the slavers should have had some sort of contingency plan for someone doing this incredibly obvious thing. Just the whole thing didn't feel thought through on his part on any level. And it didn't feel believable to me that he would have, that he would be in this position without some sort of, some sort of contingency plan. But I also want to sort of contradict what you both said about how the show needs a bigger budget. I, I, I hate to bring up Spartacus again. I don't actually hate to bring up Spartacus again, <laughs> but that show probably has a fifth the budget of Game of Thrones, maybe less. I'm going to go with less. And that show is pulling off epic stuff all the time. How do they get away with doing that? They got away with doing it by having effects that weren't as good, but they were consistently not as good. The trouble with Game of Thrones is that some of the effects are incredible. So when the effects aren't as good, they stand out and they pull you out. If they had a consistently lower standard of effects, you probably wouldn't care. I'm going to strongly disagree with you there because I think, though, you know, yeah, you know, and anybody who listens to Televerse, especially this week, will know that uh, I love Spartacus. But the whole tone of the show is is incredibly different and, t- and ties in very well with a heightened uh, sense of, of uh, violence and CG, you know, for just its, its landscapes and backgrounds. It's a completely different approach and tone. And I don't think having the, that approach to where you just sort of steer into the skid and just go for a stylized but lower budget take on on this would work in game of thrones seeing as they you know they are trying to to take this more historical tack uh, on the storytelling i'm going to agree and disagree with both of you okay (laughs) (laughs) because that's why i love doing a podcast with you and simon here's the thing I don't think that the effects are bad in Game of Thrones usually. This is the only time I've ever actually really complained about the special effects. But the thing is, it wasn't even so much about budget and effects. It also had to do with the amount of time awarded for this scene because it came right at the end of the episode, right? What I would have liked to have seen was I would have I would have preferred to have seen Danny some, somehow outsmart the guy in a way that was more interesting than the, than the guy just being like a buffoon as like Simon describes him than to have a two minute battle sequence. Like you said, Kate, that didn't really, you know what I mean? Like, like the battle sequence didn't really show much. It showed, like you said, like two extras getting like killed in the background and whatnot. It would have been a lot cooler if she outsmart the guy and then right when she took the army, it sort of like cut the black and he just heard like sounds of terror and horror. And the director let us, the audience, imagine what was happening instead of showing it. Because showing it for me personally, I know it worked for almost everybody to watch the episode, but I'm just, you know, as a podcaster who's doing a podcast Game of Thrones, I have to speak for myself. It didn't work for me seeing it on screen. It didn't work for me to see the dragon, which looks so incredibly fake flying around and burning like a few guys and for them to like kill a few extras in the background. And then they had that CGI shot where her and her army are like walking towards, I guess they're walking towards Westeros. That just didn't work for me. But the thing about her character is uh, what I really do like about her character to say something incredibly positive is she's a completely different person than she was from the start of season one. And even from the end of season two, the Danny that we knew in season one when she was sold to Drago 
And the Danny that we knew at the end of season two, when she was navigating through the house of the undying, she's not the same person, especially in season one. Like she was, she was easy to, easy to boss around. She was a little naive. She was a little sheltered. She was like, well, she was a slave. She didn't and own it, any clothing. She Yeah. And in season two, she was, she, she still seemed lost. Like she was always looking for, from, for advice from, you know, other people. And here she really does seem like the kind of queen that can lead an army of that size to victory. So out of all the characters in Game of Thrones, I think she's the character that has evolved the most. And that is one thing that works great. Oh, uh, I think Amelia Clark's gotten to be really good. I think that I was sold on her performance the second she was eating a horse's heart. (laughs) And everything after that was great. Before that, maybe a little shaky, but also the writing for her was, and, and the stuff she got to do was pretty weak also. So I think in general, she's been unfairly shat upon uh, by people who don't really know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think we should probably talk about something else because we've been going on about this for, you know, 15 minutes. Uh, can we talk about Varys and how he gets all the best scenes in this episode? Thank you. He's the highlight of this episode, not Danny, not the climax. His scenes are the best moments of this episode, I think. Well, it's one of the things I said uh, in the in the. I think the first episode for the season, um, and again, I said, I was talking about it, I think last week, where we get just a few moments of the Varys, and as much as I enjoyed the, the, the thing with Pod, and it was actually, I thought, really hilarious to see that called back to here as well. I wanted more time with Varys, and we get it this week, and man, is it good. I was watching that, that scene with him and Tyrion and the box. And and uh, just kind of waiting. I'm like, I, I'm, I know he's going to get to a point because the the writers on this show are too good for him to not tie it in so eloquently to the immediate first thing that Tyrion said. Um, and man, when he did, it was that was very satisfying and uh, appropriately terrifying, I think, as well. I think it's really easy to underestimate Varys. And I like that they give him some teeth. Yeah, w- w- when he starts telling his backstory and explains how he was castrated and how he was a young boy and sold to this man who was a sorcerer and how he quickly became a prostitute and would sell the body parts that he still had. <laughs> and he just went into such graphic detail. And then at one point he says, I quickly learned that uh, the secrets in what, what, what did he say? The secrets in. Men's letters. Yeah, yeah. The secrets in men's letters are worth more than the gold in their pockets. I'm paraphrasing here, but you just come to understand how wise he is, how smart he is, how cunning he is, how dangerous he is. I mean, he's one of the most dangerous people in Westeros. You kind of feel sorry for the guy, but at the same time, he's still one of those characters that you don't like, but you like watching him on screen because, first of all, the actor is fantastic. I believe it's Con... How do you pronounce his name? Conleth Hill? Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, he's amazing, amazing. And I remember we did a season one wrap-up like two years ago of Game of Thrones. And I said on that show that he was one of the most fascinating characters. So I'm glad to see he has a lot of screen time once again because he's smart, he's engaging, he's unpredictable, he's calculated. He's just he's just awesome. And also in that scene, when he lifts up the lid to that box, now the guy in the box... He looks disfigured, like, like the sorcerer. 
So I was told, like I was speaking to one of my friends who read the book, and he he was telling me that he's, I think, called a, a red sorcerer or, or a red witch or something. Kate, you read the book. He he's uh he worships the same god. He worships the the Lord of Light, the same one that the the red woman does, Melisandra, as well as Thoris of Mir, also okay. speaks to the flames. Okay, that's what I was thinking. So he worships the god of fire. Okay, makes yeah. sense. Well, and we, the last thing for me about that scene that makes it so significant is also, you know, I, I don't actually, I mean, I, I would disagree, Ricky, in that I do like Varys. And I think even just based on what he gets in the, the TV show, not necessarily tying in with, with the books, I, I actively like that character, I think. And it's, I think it's very important that we see, this has always been a character who's been out for himself. And I think it's very important that we see that, no, there are certain principles and philosophies and and things that he stands for outside of just whatever's going to be best for him and so that when we find out that he hates magic uh and and is vehemently opposed to it and uh that and the fact that there's something that could steer his allegiance aside from just straightforward self-interest i think that's very interesting when you say you disagree with me do you mean i i like the character what i'm saying is i don't care like I wouldn't care for that character. Like, if I live in that world, he's very slimy and not, I can't oh, trust Everybody on the show is very slimy. Well, he's extremely slimy. I don't know. I could not trust that guy. Well, yeah, you'd be a fool or Ned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't want to end up like Ned, all right? He's a little <laughs> too trustworthy. The, the thing that I found most interesting about that scene is the way he's so he's determined for vengeance and he gets it, but he still doesn't understand what happened to him. Really? Like he, he knows that there was a blue flame and, and this, uh, and the sorcerer was doing something to him. He still doesn't really fathom what it is. And so all he knows about magic is that he associates it with violation. Well, and, he knows he was castrated, <laughs> but what he says, yeah, but he is, doesn't know why. Well, he says he heard a voice and he doesn't know where the voice came from. He doesn't know if he imagines it or if the voice was coming from some kind of like fire demon. Like we don't know. He doesn't know. But but the sorcerer, when you look at him, he looks disfigured. It, lo- it, it looked like he couldn't open his mouth like his as if it was I, sewn. I think that was a was that a gag? I was trying to see. I couldn't tell. Well, I couldn't tell either because it was so dark. But it lo- I was I was trying to I was wondering if. If uh, maybe perhaps they sewed his lips together because like that he can't utter like words of magic to perform his magic tricks. I don't know. I, I think he'd seen Podrick pull his pants down and he couldn't talk anymore. But remember, Podrick <laughs> is not of unusual size, as Roz describes Tavares. It's something else. You just oh, have I, talent. Like, I, love that, I love that they're drawing that out like it's a super important mystery. And maybe it is, but I would prefer to think it's just a really amusing lark. I don't know. It seems to be the biggest mystery on the internet right now. Like, everybody wants to know if Podrick has a huge pod. Like, we're <laughs> going to call it a pod. I want to see proof. I, I, I'm not going to take some Mm-mm. some girl's word. I like, don't want it to come up. I want it to be a recurring bit that, like, every eight episodes maybe gets mentioned <laughs> until it doesn't fit the story anymore. I don't want them to bring it up again. That's a, it's, a, it's a joke. It's it's there for levity. It's not there for plot importance. <laughs> well, <laughs> last week, I, I, I mentioned how much I appreciated and liked the scene. I thought it was extremely executed, but I just thought that they could have used that five minutes of screen time and awarded it to characters that cared more about it. And because there are many characters 
and so much going on in this show that I feel like every minute is valuable, right? But now, because it's a reoccurring gag, I kind of, like, take back what I said because they're making the, the most use out of it. You know what I mean? Like they're making the most of it as they can. So uh, I'm glad it was a reoccurring gag once again in this episode. But you know what? We also got to talk once again about uh, Lord Barris and uh, his interaction with Anna Riggs' character, Lady of Thorns. Because, again, that's the second best moment of the episode. And I just, like, those two actors in the same scene to me is fascinating. I mean, it's, it's by far more fascinating than the climax. And so that's why, like, I love this episode, but I don't think I like it for the same reasons everybody else likes it. Everybody else likes it for the climax, and I like it for the quieter moments. Diana Riggs, her character, The Lady of Thrones, I, I, I think out of all the characters in the show so far, she's the one that can win any battle or argument just by using words. Like, I love the way she just plays him and the way he almost gives up and she kind of laughs at him. She's like, oh, you're going to give up so easily? Let's go for a walk. He was playing her in that moment. I, I, I don't think she invested him in any way. Yeah, I no, no Kate's right. I, I don't think that uh, he, 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 he gives one of those very obvious, oh, I'm giving up, but he, clearly he had not given up turns. Uh, not, not not that I think that he had bested her necessarily. I think they're very much on even footing, and they understand mm-hmm. each other, even if they don't necessarily trust each other. Well, and it's I nice to see a lady added to that circle, you know, of Varys and Littlefinger, and, and Tyrion is another one like that. It's nice to see a, a woman in the mix with them, as and, and Tywin's another character. Well, Marjorie is, arguably is in there, too. Well, yeah, definitely, and there's a connection, you know, the, you can see that she takes after her grandmother, and that's the, the Lady Olena, the Queen of Thorns, is the character name, to uh, although, avoid as, some emails. As long as we're talking about best scenes, the the Marjorie-Joffrey scene is, is definitely in the mix there, too. I actually, I really like the Marjorie-Sansa scene. Oh, and I, I just gotta say, I love that the uh, the, the discussion with Varys and and Lady Elena about Sansa. Yeah, she's really, she's not that interesting. But she's very pretty. <laughs> I actually really like the scene between the um, between the King Joffrey and Marjorie because, I mean, I, I haven't read the books. So I can only assume that when he's walking around the castle, he starts explaining the history and what happened to so-and-so and the mad King George. And, and I, I feel that's a good way to sort of advise non-book readers has to the history of these characters in a show so i could be mistaken but for me from my point of view that's what i got out of it and i really like their sequence i like any sequence that features marjorie she is hot okay <laughs> like she is incredibly hot she's beautiful and she's smart and sexy and I, I i'm just trying to figure out what what exactly are they going to do with king joffrey is he supposed to be a nicer and kinder king because of her because the best moment in, the, in that whole scene. <laughs> no, no, oh but the, whole, the best moment in that whole scene is when she convinces him to go outside unguarded. And that shows how smart of a politician she is. But also she's like the world's greatest PR rep. Like I wanted to do PR work for me because if she can make these people love Joffrey, then she could do anything. And also I'm not entirely sure if they were cheering only for her or for her and Joffrey, but it kind of seemed like the people were cheering for both Joffrey and Marjorie, not just Marjorie. Well, the the scary thing about the sequence is that she hasn't convinced anyone to like him. They already like him because they've been sold the line that he's responsible for their defense and responsible for having kept them alive. Yeah, but that's a crock of shit. 
No, but that's that's because of her. Because in the past episodes, she went out into the town, into the village, and she was talking to the children and the people, and she was telling yeah, yeah, yeah. that Joffrey is the one that saved them. That's true. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. She's awesome for PR. Well, and it's also just reflected, Gloria. It's something to talk about on The Good Wife all the time, where the the main character is such a helpful political ally for, for her husband because they might not like him, but they really like her. And that's the same situation here. I would say there's like an 80-20 split or something with uh, the people uh, cheering for uh, Lady Marjorie. And then there were definitely some, some King Joffreys in the crowd as well. I was wondering how many of those people she had planted and paid, honestly. Yeah, but, uh, no, and, and when they're talking, when they're walking around the sept and, um, and, and we have all of these, and then the, the you know King Rhaegar was killed brutally here, and then the next one was maimed there. I mean, it's yes, it is giving you a lot of history, but I also you know it's again it's based on character. It's telling you about him and his excitement to share his sadism. I get this feeling that Joffrey can't have sex because there's been plenty of times where he's been offered women and he doesn't have sex with them. Instead, he does awful things to them. Or he watches them have sex and do awful things to each other. And I also like, I'm sorry, like, maybe I'm watching too many serial killer movies, but all these serial killers, like growing up, they had like, like they're sexually repressed or they were sexually abused. <laughs> so they grew up to be these serial killers, but they can't actually have sex themselves. Cause, cause I don't understand why King Joffrey never has sex with anyone. Is that because he's too young and like the actual actor and so they don't want to put the actor in that position? Like he's like 22. So in real life, is he? Okay. But in the show, he's like 15 or 14. Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he has some horrors that he is, you know, entertaining himself with. But he's not going to uh, be having sex with Marjorie yet because they aren't married and she can't let that happen, I don't think. Because she's she's working so hard to maintain this facade of the virginal proper woman and, and you know, such that I... I think, you know, and he's buying into that as well, that, that she's the mm-hmm. proper queen and she's the ideal and all of this stuff. So I, I have a feeling, at least as far as why we haven't seen something like that with the two of them, I think that's why. Well, let's talk about a character who I, I absolutely despise, Lady Sansa. Okay, first of all, <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's like... It's, I like Sansa. Why? So of course. Let's talk about Breaking Bad and let's talk about Miss White and how much you love her and I hate her. Um, I can't stand these characters to let the most awful and horrendous things happen to them and their families and just stand by and go, oh, well, King Joffrey's amazing. And I'm just going to shut up because I can't say anything bad about him. So what I want to know is if Varys and Lady Olana team up and they're trying to like, like I'm trying to figure out if they have Lady Sansa in their best interest or if they're actually going to complicate her life and make her life a living hell. And Marjorie seems to really like Lady Sansa, but she wants her to marry her gay brother. I guess it's kind of good for Lady Sansa. He's good looking and all, but he's also gay. So, but it just seems like they're trying to get her to marry him because then they would have, like if Rob Stark dies, then Lady Sansa would take over as leader. So therefore they would have the whole Stark kingdom. So it would be to their advantage. Am I reading this right? Yes, I think it's very sweet, Ricky, that you you think Marjorie is buddies with Sansa and actually cares about her. I disagree completely. Uh, I think I think it was actually really nice the way that they've um, 
the, the two those two feel of a similar age, though of course the actors are not. Uh, there's there's some space there, but they they've done a good job of making feel like Sansa finally feels like she has a friend, so, and I think because she's been so wary for so long, it's important to give her a reason to not see the manipulation that's going on there but no they 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 want control over winterfell there's always a stark in winterfell there there will always be a stark in winterfell is some of are some of the words that are very associated um very prominent in in the kingdom it's sort of like a known political fact that only the starks could hold winterfell when my girlfriends offer like their gay rudder who's really hot on a date with me i kind of take that as a good thing <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, so I think it's just, you know, she's continuing to be a pawn. So whether but she's that, better off being a pawn of Highgarden as opposed to a pawn of Littlefinger remains to be seen. Well, well, yeah, again, and that's that's what I'm asking. Is this really better for Lady Sansa? Because maybe Littlefinger would treat her better in the long run because basically everybody's using this girl. But what I'm trying to figure out is if, like you're saying, a Margie really does not give a shit about Lady Sansa. And I don't blame her because I don't like Lady Sansa. But... I'm trying to read it where maybe she does care about her. Like, yeah, she's using her, but maybe she actually does does care about her well-being. I don't know. I think she because... likes her. I mean, sense is nice. <laughs> well, she's easy to... I don't think anyone... I don't think even the characters who are using her want to see bad things happen to her, if that makes any sense. You know because, they, they, because they know that, you know, she horrible things have happened to her by no fault of her own. And I don't think any of those characters... They don't really care about her so much but i don't think they have any desire to 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 do harmony you know you know what i find interesting we're 30 according to my time time stamp we're 32 minutes and 55 seconds into the recording this episode we haven't discussed the no we not even that we haven't discussed the origin of the name of this episode and i think the reason for that is the night's watch is the least interesting part of this show (laughs) yeah i read your review right before we started recording um, okay, so now here's the thing, Kate. Simon and I are not, we're not impressed with the Night Watch scene, okay? But we haven't read the book. Now, you've read the book. So what did you think of that sequence? Um, I I thought that it was effective and um, appropriately portrayed. And I don't really understand, because I, I read, Simon, I read your review as well. I don't really understand where you're coming from at all. <laughs> because I think sort of like the the one commenter posted, I think they very clearly established that, you know, throughout the entire run of the show that the Night's Watch has been diluted and diluted to the point where there are very few people of any sort of leadership ability or with any sort of honor. I mean, why do you think they're looking at it a barely off, you know, just fresh off the wagon recruit as, as somebody who's in training to, you know, to, to, you know, Follow up the night, you know. Follow around the night commander. The is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that there's a reason. It's because there's so few options for them. So the fact that you know it all goes to hell and so quickly. I mean, I think obviously we haven't spent as much time with them as you do in the books. You don't get the the build up to the you know the increasing grumbling amongst the men. Exactly. But, uh, so so maybe there's there's that issue with but that, it. But but that's an issue for a non book reader. Because you guys, you guys have read the book, so you understand where it's going, and you have that background knowledge. But for people who are watching the show for the first time, we haven't been offered many moments, if any moments, apart from this episode. And it also has, I would think, the season's first major character death 
And it happened so quick and there was so much going on. It just didn't have the emotional impact or the importance that I thought it should have. So for me, it was a problem of the way it was executed. I don't think it was, again, I'm, it's not even that I'm nitpicking. It's that I can't do a, a Game of Thrones podcast every week and talk about how amazing a show is and just repeat myself for 35, 45 minutes. The show's amazing. It's amazing, amazing. I got eventually, you know, nitpick a little bit, but I'm looking at it from a, from a point of view of a non-book reader. And like even last week when we started the podcast, I mentioned that our podcast is aimed more so, the key word here being more so to people that haven't read the book than the people that have read the book. We, Of course, it's it's you know for everyone that's interested in the world of Game of Thrones, but like we specifically don't spoil stuff that's happened in the book, and we don't really compare it too much to the book because we don't want to spoil it for you know that specific audience. But this whole sequence, to me, just again, it, it felt flat. It just didn't necessarily work the way it should have worked, and. And I mean, he's he's an important character, is he not? The Lord Commander of the Night Watch. I mean, he's the Lord Commander of the Night Watch, and the way they handled his death, it was just like, okay, boom, bam, let's go move on to the next scene. I, I think I think my core issue, like I, I'm I'm re- I'm willing to acknowledge that my characterization of the Night's Watch may not have taken into account past details because I don't necessarily retain everything. But I think my issue with that with with the Night's Watch plotline in general is, you know, Jon Snow was our anchor to the night to the night's watch when you know, for the first couple of seasons much as he's no one's favorite character i don't think um except for a certain segment of straight women and gay men um but the now that he's not in that plot line this whole you know it, it, I, there's something missing from from that plot line and and that sort of like as much as we like um what's his name the the only character left who we even associate with in this plot line sam uh, sam you know he's a sweet character. You know he's he's likable enough, but he we don't know much about him except that he's sort of slow and sort of sweet. And I don't know. I, I don't really feel any investment in basically watching a bunch of grumbling ex-cons kill each other in the snow. Like I don't really know why I'm watching it. Basically, I don't know why we're still following these people. And I and maybe that'll be clear later. Well, but right the, now it's well, like okay, but, but but I care way more about Sam Well Tarly than I do about Jon Snow. I. I'm way more connected with that performance and that character and far more interested in him. And I also have to say, um, granted, I have a different perspective having read the books, but I think you guys might be surprised if you went back, uh, if you were, you know, we were watching this down the line. Um, you might be surprised at how, how many comments and asides there are in those Night's Watch scene of people expressing frustration and, uh, with with the Lord Commander and also Craster very specifically. It's It's been an almost omnipresent undercurrent of of this season with the night's watch and because i knew where it was going i was noticing it so it could be that you guys just didn't pick up on that maybe they needed to do a better job of highlighting it but it's been there that's i i think you're right i think that the the foreshadowing of that has been there my main issue is i just don't know like these are supposed to be the people providing the the first line of defense against you know the horrible things in in the north it's clear now that they can't do that let alone even get along with each other and not kill each other I don't know why I care. But but that's the thing. Because they are the last offense and they're supposed to be keeping away the real danger, which I believe is like the White Walkers, like those zombie guys, whatever. Um, like, that is what I mean. Like, we're, it, we should have... There's, it, we, we should we should be more emotionally invested into that sequence, and even like I actually love Sam. I really care about Sam, and I think Sam's a, a, an important character to have because you have to have some decent, honest, nice, good people in this show. You can't have everyone 
being as terrible and horrible as like Littlefinger or even like Jamie back in like season one, season two, although I'm starting to like the guy. But uh, that's what I really like about a, a guy like Jon Snow and Sam. Like you need characters like that that you can actually root for and care for because they're such good people. But but yeah, I mean, the thing is for me, I just felt I didn't really feel any suspense or tension build up. Like I sh- I, I feel like if I could have directed that sequence, I would have really made it seem like Sam's life is in danger and have everyone gripping onto the seat because that is a character you should be like rooting for. And you don't want to see him to die. And you don't want to see the baby die. Like, and also the baby's mom, uh, Jilly or Gilly, whatever her name is, you don't want to see her die. And then again, the Lord commander of the night's watch, the way he died. Like I would just like, I would have shot it, framed it in a way where it, it just stuck, stood out. Like it stood out the way, say, J- the way Jamie's hand got cut off or the way Ned Stark's head got chopped off. But anyways, again, nitpick. It was, you know, still a good sequence. Just um, not my favorite sequence of uh, the episode. I guess the thing is, is that when I was like speaking to a lot of my friends online or just in real life, whatever, on the telephone, and everyone's like, yeah, the best scene was a Nightwatch scene and Danny's scene, the climax, the end of the episode. I was like, wow, I completely People just people just really like violence. <laughs> Seriously. Well, especially with Danny, I think the reason people are connecting with that is that it, it is a payoff of several weeks build up and um and, and and as a book reader, it is just such a spectacular sequence in the book. And it you know, so that I think we're bringing our, our you know, that experience of reading it and what happens in the book to what we see and sort of filling in the gaps around the edges there. And maybe it's a similar thing. Uh, but it really with, it really doesn't nice bother you. It really doesn't bother you, Kate, and I, I, I'm sorry I hate to go back to this, but it doesn't bother you that this, that the slaver doesn't seem to have any coherent plan for this handoff. Um, I I believe his egotism, and uh, I believe uh, yeah, I believe that character more than than you do, and it, it feels more real to me than than he seems to to you. I do think it that is a weakness of it, definitely. I think they're um. The fact that they have him holding it, holding the the dragon's chain, that doesn't feel honest to the character. He would have a servant doing that, a slave doing that. There, you know, there's touches there that um, were a shortcut, and and I, you know, I would I would definitely agree with that. But for like I said earlier, for me, the um, the emotional um, payoff there is what made that that sequence you know sustaining but i would agree that 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 as much as that's a bit of a fuck yeah moment and really you know fun for that reason it is not you know the best episode you know moments of of the um of the episode or even the most uh touching i mean let's talk briefly about theon oh my god do you think oh whoa i think we're gonna start arguing i thought that was the worst part of the episode Oh, interesting. You the, hated the Theon. Uh, the whole conflict of Theon Greyjoy, as much as I love that actor and he's super good looking and whatever and cool, this, <laughs> this like, I, first of all, I find it hard to pity the guy. Um, and, like, okay, so last week there's this character who remains a mystery. He comes to save Theon. He, you know, he comes to save the day. He kills, like, what, eight, nine guys in order to save him. And it was, and it was a complete waste of time because what does he do? He just brings him right back to his like prison i was like what was the point what was like the, he, the, the, the thing, point was that he found out that the starks the Stark kids dead. are alive right okay yeah. yes i give i give you that he, he found out that the starks kids are still alive but he actually sacrificed eight of his friends in order to do so he could have just ran away with him they could have planned... a lot about that character who you will get to know more <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe uh I guess it just, it just it, I don't know. I just, I, I honestly did not 
really like that sequence because I guess the thing is, it's like I said last week, or I even said it today, is every single minute of every single episode is so valuable because they have like about 50, 55 minutes for each episode. There's so many characters, so many like subplots that I feel they need to make the best out of everything. I think the writers are doing an amazing job, despite the fact that I haven't read the book. I can only like imagine how great of a job they're doing. But this is one of those decisions where I'm like, did they really have to do this? Did they have to make it like, couldn't they have not wasted 10 minutes of screen time? Because they basically get this guy right back. But again, you're telling me that the guy's going to end up being, you know, a major character in season three. So as a non-book reader, I'm looking at this sequence right now without having you telling me that. And it's thinking it's a waste of time next mm-hmm. week. And in two episodes, I might, I might go, you know what? It wasn't a waste of time because now it makes sense. Although, frankly, I'm having a really hard time distinguishing all these white dudes who hang out in woods and rescue people. Uh, (laughs) It's just it's I'm having a really difficult time with that. Well, the other thing with Theon, um, the other thing that makes the Theon sequence uh, worthwhile to me is the the emotional payoff we get with him recognizing really Ned Stark as his true father and 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 his emotional journey from when he decides whether to to send that letter to rob warning him against mm-hmm. his his biological father to now i think has been very well played both by the actor but also the writing of it and so while i absolutely see your perspective and i'm sure i'd be right there with you if i didn't know more than you do um yeah i i i, th- I think the, the those emotional beats that we get for that character that little tiny bit of respite I think was very important for the character and then to have it ripped right back just as we're starting to like him again I think is gutsia I mean I don't know I don't know how to feel for him because I agree with you that when he starts recognizing his sins and all the things he's done wrong and like pretty much um, confesses that you know Ned Stark was the better dad I just still do not pity this guy I don't care about him unlike Jamie let's talk about Jamie now (laughs) he's really bugging me because I really, really am loving this character. I mean, the the episode opens up where you see his hand dangling from his neck and right away you just feel for the guy. You feel so sorry for him. And that's only one of the many cruel moments. I mean, to the point where they, they, they give him like horse piss to drink, which is totally disgusting, but his character, (laughs) you're laughing, Simon. Yes. (laughs) You're laughing. You don't like Jamie Lannister. No, I just think horse piss is delicious. Oh my god! Uh, no, uh, I, I no, I I think one of the great things about the show is I think that they got they had such a coup uh, getting Nikolai Coster Waldo for that part because he's just so like I, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but he looks sort of like Prince Charming's creepy uncle. Like he's he's still got the looks, but he but he also has an edge to him that like you just wouldn't want him hanging around your kids. Really? And yeah. He, like he, a, he's the kind of actor that I would put in the same ballpark as like Viggo Mortensen or Hugh Jackman. If that makes any sense. I don't see, know. I would, I would not relate those two. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. You, those are, but anyway, uh, I, I don't know. There's, he's just got this great quality where he's a little bit, there's something lurking under underneath the handsomeness. And I think what they've mined that so well, and they've found new dimensions for that this season and uh, I'm I mean, obviously, at some point, he's going to break free and kill Noah Taylor, which, by the way, if you ever get the chance, uh, go look at some images from the, from the movie Flirting with a young Nicole Kidman and Noah Taylor. And yeah, then and then marvel at the trans 
transformation of Noah Taylor over the years. But anyway, um, yeah, at some point he'll get his comeuppance probably with the help of, of, uh, of Brienne and it's going to be amazing. But in the meantime, it, it's interesting to, uh, I mean, I, I think that the Brienne Jamie scene was another clear highlight. Yeah, and I love the, the 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 monologue that Brienne's given to just dish out at him, like when she's like, you know, stop whining. Oh, now you finally realize what it's like to live in the real world. We have something important taken away from you. Like that was great dialogue, and I love there. Once again, every week, there those two actors have such great chemistry, and they're like they're always always interesting to watch on screen. And I I just I don't know. I'm fascinated by by Jamie Lannister because I think that. Like, I got to give a, a lot of credit to the writers and the directors of Game of Thrones because they take this character who you despise because, in, you know, in season one, he's sleeping with his sister. He's killing off, like, innocent boys. And now... Is you, his son's the devil? His son's the <laughs> devil. And now you just, like, actually care for him. So it's, yeah, it's kind of like wanting to, like, shake hands with the devil and have a friendly game of chess. If, uh, if if you want to watch him be a bastard in another realm, by the way, when the season's over, I recommend you check out the movie Headhunters. That's such a good movie. Yes. I, I, I doubled that recommendation, Simon. Um, Shall we talk about uh, the rest of the party in the Riverlands with the Brotherhood Without Banners and uh, the Hound and Arya? I'm looking yeah. forward to the fight, but I still I don't know why I'm supposed to care about the Brotherhood of Banners. It seems like 30 dudes who don't belong to any side, and as soon as anyone decides they they want them dead, they would be very easy to kill. Yeah, they're all too busy, though. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But, 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 but still, though, it seems like it's 30 dudes. Like I, I don't know, much like with the Night's Watch, I don't know where this is going, and I don't know why I'm supposed to care about these people, but I am looking forward to a badass fight scene, especially because yeah, I watched the preview. But Sir Beric is so badass, and he's got the eye patch. I love him. Uh, wait, you watched the preview of next week? Oh. I did. Bad, 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 Simon. You're not supposed to do that. I'm not going to talk about it, but I saw something in it that made me go, oh, shit. Oh, sweet. How, how about the uh, payoff of, of Micah, and Kate though? Knows the what butcher's way. Oh, yeah. No, I know what you're talking about, and I know what you're talking about in a way that you don't even know what you're talking about. But, yeah, it's going to be okay, awesome good. next week. I How about know. the payoff of, of Micah, though? The death of Micah, which was such a significant moment for Arya back in season one, and it comes back here. It's, and, uh, you know, payback's a bitch. I'll be honest with you. I don't remember what she's talking about. You're talking about the boy that Hound assassinates in season two, was it? Season one, on the way back from Winterfell, uh, he's teaching Arya how to fence, and Joffrey's showing off for Sansa, and Arya so hits him. And oh, he blames right. the butcher yes, boy, right. and and then and then that's Got what it. leads to Sansa's wolf being killed, the first of the of of the dire wolves to to die. Yeah, yeah, it was the and, and that's and that's what you know forces Arya to drive Nymeria away from her, and so that she loses her wolf as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was the hound that killed off the boy, but but the thing is, I, I, I remember now. But but yeah, but that's that's why I find these dudes interesting because they don't serve any king or flag or any country. They're like it's like Kate, you said uh, I think it was last week. You sort of compared them to like Robin Hood and and um, I don't know. They, I, they seem more like anonymous to me. But anyway, maybe. But I, I don't know. I don't really have much to say about this scene. It was okay, I guess. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, if anything, it, it leaves me wanting more, and I'm excited for next week's episodes. I really want to see the battle, and now Simon's got, got me even more excited because he saw a sneak peek of it. So, But you know what? 
In this episode, we get Bran, once again, who's one of the characters that I really like, but I'm starting to wonder why I like this character, because every time we get a scene with Bran, it's a dream sequence. And I'm like, okay, so the dream sequence is really cool, but it's it's yet again a dream sequence with Bran. Like, are we just going to keep on getting dreams and dreams? dreams? He's kind of just walking now, so... I'd rather see his dreams. His dreams are way more interesting than his day. Well, his oh, dreams are... His isn't dream- that sort of what most of the characters are doing? Dreaming? Walking. Oh, right. <laughs> well, there are- I, I'm, amazed that Game- I'm amazed that Game of Thrones is able to wring so much mileage out of characters literally just walking places. All right. I gotta ask a question. Who the fuck is Hodor? Hodor? Yeah, Hodor. He, he's a servant from their uh, fr- from Winterfell, who is obviously simple to some extent, and the, the only he, though he has, it's it's interesting because he does seem to have a full range of emotions, and he is intelligent enough to follow orders and understand what they're saying and all of that. He but only the only ever word says Hodor. he says is Hodor, and so they call him Hodor because that's the only word he ever says. The only. The only sound he ever makes is he says Hodor. So like last week when Bran like woke up, you know, shouting or whatever, Hodor was all worried. He goes, Hodor? And Bran's like, it's okay. He's like, Hodor. Because that's just, that's the only word he says. (laughs) Right. So good. Um, Best best line of the episode, I think, comes from Tywin where he's like, I don't distrust you because you're a woman. I distrust you because you're not as smart as you think you are. Well, and you know, it's uh, a, 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 there are a lot of good scenes when we're this far into the podcast that we haven't mentioned a Charles Dance scene. Yeah. Oh, no. Charles Dance might be the best actor on the whole show. Woo! Really? He's think- so good. Every single Charles Dance scene is amazing. I would. I don't. I don't know if I can put him in number one. Maybe number two or three. But Peter Dinklage, Diana Rigg. But yeah, you're right. Every single scene with him is, fant- is fantastic. But I. I, but the thing is, his daughter, It's in a way he's right, in a way he's not right, because her son is still sitting in the th- on the throne. So she's still doing something right, but she does make a lot of mistakes. But I think the person that makes the most mistakes out of any character in Game of Thrones is Lady Stark. Like, she's to blame for everything. Everything that's wrong is Lady Stark's fault. That's what I've come to learn. Um, I think that's a little <laughs> simplistic. <laughs> I, I, you know, if you're going to look I, at the... I like the simplistic view of Game of Thrones. It's less complicated. If you blame everything on Lady Stark, you can sit back and enjoy the show more. Sure. <laughs> How are we blaming Jamie throwing Bran out a window on Lady Stark? Because if she, she should had... be watching it more carefully, like the, yeah. like uh, like the kid on uh, on The Walking Dead. Exactly. It's it's like Laurie in The Walking Dead. Like you know, if you if you were just if you just had more control over your boy, he wouldn't be climbing the tower, and therefore Jamie would have never tried to assassinate the guy um, throwing him yes, off the tower. Yes, I'm sorry. If, if, if she had been Brand's fault that Jamie him. tried to kill him. Oh, if she had been spanking him when she told him <laughs> not to climb, maybe it would have sunk in. Totally. Oh, it wouldn't have. Come on. If she didn't kidnap one of the Lannisters and then kidnap another Lannister and let one Lannister go and God, she's to blame for everything. And just to, and look at poor Jon Snow and the way she treats him. She tried to have Jon Snow killed. No, she didn't. She prayed to the gods that he would get sick and die. That's a little different. That's well, kind I, of the same thing in this kind, universe. Yeah, in this universe is kind of. Not her thing. god. She didn't pray to the red god. Oh, well, we don't know what her god can do. But the point is, she was praying to her god because she wanted her god to do something bad to Jon Snow, possibly kill him. So, you know, yeah, she's to blame for everything. It's her fault. 
Okay, that's so clearly and, wrong. And, and also, that we, but let's move on. The character <laughs> despised the most is her daughter, Sansa. So, yeah. Oh, Sansa. Oh, my God. I don't even understand. I don't even understand how you... Yeah, I understand this one how I don't you get don't either. like Catelyn, but I don't understand how you don't like Sansa. Then, I, don't I, read the books. You're, like, if you read the books, because I think they're... Like, I think you would love the Jamie stuff in, in the books, the progression through, through the first three books with that character, because it is masterfully written. Um, and that your experience that you're having right now is 100% there as a reader of the book it's that's the exact experience you have reading the books when you start book three and you're like holy shit james a point of view character and all of a sudden you start liking him and you kind of hate yourself but don't read the books for the sansa chapters because if you don't like her here you're gonna hate her in the books oh no what does she have to offer besides besides her beautiful red hair she's always moping around like Mm. she watches her dad get his head cut off she doesn't like do anything about what she's supposed to do when her dad is getting his head cut off what is she possibly gonna do in that situation besides get herself killed so you fight for your family and your dad you don't just she she can't hold a sword she can't fight and i think you're not giving her enough credit first of all as a very sheltered teenager but also as someone who has incredible reserve she's been emotionally and psychologically terrorized really have have you seen what her little sister has been up to yeah, her little sister is a different person, but Arya couldn't do what Sansa is doing. Sansa couldn't do what Arya is doing, but Arya would never survive at court the way that Sansa has. No, because Arya would fight for her life and for her family and her dad. She wouldn't just sit back and sleep with the no. devil. She, uh, Sansa isn't sleeping with anyone. Oh, my God. It's and, like... and, and, I mean, I don't think you're... I mean, she was, <laughs> she was stripped in front of court, beaten by by adults consistently threatened with rape i don't think you're giving her enough credit for just surviving that this is the whole nagging wife problem on amc and hbo it's skylar white it's laurie from the walking dead laurie grimes it's lady stark and lady stark how can i feel sorry for her she does she never even tries to help herself i find it hard to pity or sympathize for characters who don't even try to help themselves or the people around them who they love whereas Arya does the total opposite how is Arya helping her family? Well, she at least tried to fight. She she was she was going to like fight for her dad until until she was held back. Yes, and that would have been incredibly stupid. At least that was can, not at, the right thing to do. At least she can take that horse manure and 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 throw it at King Joffrey. Lady Sansa could never do that. Oh my god! But god. that's. Uh, you know to, what? to be continued later, because I do think that she is doing things to, to help herself and her, her family. But I do, I would agree that the character is put in a difficult position where she is, she is the, the most, one of the most powerless of the, of the characters, you know, that we follow. And so I can understand getting frustrated with her because she doesn't have that kind of power. And Bran doesn't have power either, uh, but he oh. at least gets weird, crazy, trippy dreams to he's, make him interesting. He's way more interesting than her. Yeah, he doesn't have power because he's like, first of all, younger and handicapped, but he's far more interesting than she is. And I like his little two like new friends that he has. But yeah, I mean, she's powerless. She's boring, not interested in her. She can go off a little finger to some other country and like get swallowed, swallowed by a dragon for all I care. To be continued uh, <laughs> uh, later in the season and S- Simon. Uh, later next year. <laughs> <laughs> Simon's like, Simon, what do you think of Lady Sansa? Would you marry her? Absolutely. Okay, I, no, I'm going to ask an honest question. Of all the characters on this, um, in, in, in Game of Thrones, in the world of Game of Thrones, if you had to marry one character, who would you marry? Oh, if I had to marry one character. Well, Sansa is kind of boring. Um <laughs> 
but Marjorie is too smart. Uh, so she's too cunning. No, and yeah, that too. Um, I think, and Rob's wife is even more boring than Sansa somehow. Um, so I'm gonna go with uh, Hodor. Hodor, awesome. Yeah. All right, I can Kate, handle Hodor. Before before we end off the podcast, who would you marry? Um, I, I think that the the women on the show are way more interesting than the men. I'm trying to look at who my my picks are. You, you have oh, you, Leon. You, you could pick a lady. No, you could uh, pick you a have, lady. Well, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to give some some love to the gentlemen, but there really are very few interesting options. I'm uh, telling you, man, Hodor is the purest of heart. Well, you could. <laughs> You could go with with Jamie, but I, f- I feel like you'd have to be a world in which his sister didn't exist because he could only love his his sister or his son. Um, uh, but um, yeah, I guess uh, the characters where they're at right now. I really think you could do a hell of a lot worse than than Sansa. But uh, how about um, hmm? Because like characters that like Shay would be very loyal and very. Um, Interesting, but she's also a whore, and so there's that. Um, Is, wait a minute, isn't she an ex whore, or am I thinking of the wrong? No, that you're thinking of Roz. You're thinking of Roz. Um, how about um, right? How about uh, how about the Reeds? Mm-hmm. They seem cool. Mm-hmm. The Reeds aren't they like ten? Jojen and Mira. Well, I don't, well, well they're not they do 10, look but... about fourteen. No, they look about fourteen, fifteen. Yeah. Okay. No, Mi- I can't. Mira looks like she could be like Saint Vincent's niece, and neither of you are going to know what I'm talking See, about. See, guys, so the obvious, the obvious answer is Jon Snow. You guys are just in no. denial. Yes, no. it's the obvious no. answer. No, certainly oh, not. Oh, no, sorry, I have a new answer, and it's um, and it's the redhead in the north. <laughs> well, and, and the, of course, as we talked about last week, right? These uh, the various characters have have turned into dragons at this point. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what that's what happens next week every that's time. A, according to Michael Waldman, characters turn into dragons. He's he's trying to convince me that three characters turn into dragons. Oh, of course, silly me, Gendry. <laughs> Gendry's the correct choice. He turns into a dragon. No, for who you're going to marry? Oh, of of the of the guys, you know, you go with you go with Gendry. Okay. All right. Okay, and you. I mean, Ricky. I, well, Jon Snow is the obvious choice. I mean, I could choose Hot Pie because you know he's on the he's on the black. Uh, he's he was a he's like yeah. working in secret for the Night's Watch. Okay, first of all, okay, first of all, in this world of Game of Thrones, I I'm like very scared to catch an STD. Most of these people are sleeping around, so right away that eliminates ninety percent of the characters. Jon Snow is still a virgin. Boom. He's good looking. Boom. He's like a great warrior. Boom. He can't get married. I know, but he still can't. He still he's still also a virgin. Like he can't get married, but he's still like I mean, he's shy. But you said who you're gonna get married to, not who are you gonna you know have fun with. But the thing is, but the thing is, okay, we're getting way off. But we are. But the boys at a black watch, they can't date or marry women, but they're surrounded by men. You know what I'm saying here? Uh, But there's also hot pie. He would be my second pick because that guy would be good in the kitchen. Amazing. Mm Hmm. <laughs> well, on, after this delightful tangent, um, how about we we start wrapping things up? Um, any final thoughts on the episode, or uh, are we mostly or things we're looking forward to next week in Kissed by Fire? I'm looking forward to the thing that I saw, and I'm not going to talk about. And uh, did I mention also that I changed my vote? What's your vote? Oh, my 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 new vote is that. What what is the name of uh, Jon Snow's girlfriend in the North? Egret. Egret, yeah, she's awesome. Awesome. I would go with her. Yeah, she's okay. awesome. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I look, I really like this episode. I like every episode of Game of Thrones. It's just for some odd reason, it's my least favorite. But you know what? It could be because everybody overhyped the episode. Like a lot of people had, had, had received the screener, right? So everyone was like, oh, this is the best episode. So maybe it went in with too high expectations. I still love it. I'm uh, looking forward to more scenes with Bran. And I love those dream sequences. But I just want them to do more with that character as opposed to just show dreams. And I'm looking forward to Marjorie and, of course, Danny. Okay. Um, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, of course, we always appreciate your feedback. Please leave us a comment. There'll be a post up at Sound on Sight for this podcast. Let us know what you, th- what you thought of the episode. Which very person in the wide world of uh, of A Song and Ice and Fire, no spoilers for the books, of course, um, would you marry? And uh, and what do you think of Sansa and all of that wonderful, those wonderful things? Of course, we have an iTunes feed. We would love to get ratings or reviews from you guys there. And, of course, we're also all on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse, guys. How can people reach you? I'm at Sucker Howl. Uh, you can find me at Sound and Sight, and please visit our website, soundandsight.org. Give us a rating on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Yep, let us know what you're thinking. We don't bite, we promise. <laughs> we'll be back next week, or at least Ricky and I will be back with another guest to talk about Kissed by Fire, Season 3, Episode 5. So un- until then, thank you all very much for listening, and we will see you then. Hello, Tyrion. Come in, come in. I hope we might speak in confidence. Always in confidence. About the events of the Blackwater. Perhaps this is the wrong time. Oh, no, it's a wonderful time. I thought one of your little birds might have knowledge of my sister's intentions to... End your life. I didn't inherit Littlefinger's spies along with his position, I'm afraid. Which is why I'm coming to you. I need proof. Proof? Will there be a trial? I need to know. I have no proof. Only whispers. Before all this nastiness, I was going to tell you the story of how I was cut. You want to hear it still? I don't know. Do I? As a boy, I travelled with a troop of actors through the free cities. One day in Mere, a certain man made my master an offer too tempting to refuse. I feared the man meant to use me as I'd heard some men used small boys, but what he wanted was far worse. He gave me a potion that made me powerless to move or speak, yet did nothing to dull my senses. With a hooked blade he sliced me, root and stem, chanting all the while. He burned my parts in a brazier. The flames turned blue, and I heard a voice answer his call.
Thank you.